Where do I even begin on what was one of the most fascinating days or nights, I should say, I've ever seen at Ball Arena in the Jared Bednar era in the way that he ripped his team for what he called piss poor execution. Um, I want to get into that. I want to get into that Blues game just a little bit because obviously we all saw what happened and and I think it's uh, better to talk about the fallout of the game rather than what we saw during the game because what we saw during the game is a team that's just not playing well. Uh, not cohesive as a unit, doesn't seem to have that chemistry, and it's things that need to be fixed. I want to chat about the fallout of that. I also want to mention just right off the bat that uh, Yoel Kiviranta has signed a one-year deal with the Colorado Avalanche, the PTO from this past offseason. Um, it's a $775,000 deal, two-way contract, so that's another forward option the Avalanche are going to have. Um, obviously big for them to have that option because, you know, we saw with Lekin and Cogliano being out that the Avalanche are going to start to get tested. It was, it was only a matter of time. It was inevitable that injuries will arise. And when you mix those two with, uh, the combination of Tomas Tatar and Jonathan Drouin not giving you much, granted Drouin looks better than Tatar right now, in my opinion, you need more options. You need more bodies. Yoel Kibiranta, he was brought in on a PTO for that reason. And, and that's where they are with him. Um, but again, I want to go into the Jared Bednar thing, and I want to read some of these quotes. You guys have probably all seen them. You've heard them. You've read them by now. But third period was a joke. That was the worst period of hockey I've ever seen from our club. We're getting outplayed. Goaltender is getting outplayed by their goaltender. Forwards are getting outplayed by their forwards. D are getting outplayed by their D. First three goals, they're all routine coverage for me. For me, Soft and loose, and we gave them the opportunity thinking our goalie was going to save it. He didn't. It's in the back of our net. It's 3 nothing. So... You know, that's a mixture of the third period and the situations there. And that's a mixture. Those are not quotes one after the other. Those are just segments of quotes that he said throughout his press conference last night, Saturday night. Um, and it just kind of, you know, outlines his frustration. He went back to the third period later on. The third period is unacceptable, unexplainable. That's why it's a blowout. We stopped playing. It looked like we didn't make it past 10 feet. It looked like we couldn't make it past 10 feet in the third period, giving up odd man rushes every five seconds. Every rush attack they had ended up in a scoring chance again. It's not good, in, good enough. Guys quitting and not doing what they're supposed to be doing, feeling sorry for themselves. I also had a quote from Josh Manson. I got him one-on-one. -on -one. I thought this was going to be the quote of the evening until the Jared Bednar presser. I uh, had tweeted that Josh Manson gave me a really good quote while walking to the Jared Bednar presser. And, and Manson said, it felt like we gave up. It just didn't feel like we had that fire at the end. I think that's the most disappointing thing. No matter what the score, you want to see a little jam. It just felt like we lost it too easily. And uh, Jared, you know, continued on the third period. You're at five one, and you're st and we're still trying to tic tac toe pass in the uh, pass in the phone booth at their blue line to hope to maybe get a scoring chance. Why not just kick it in below the goal line and go to work? So we give up two or three more grade A scoring chances on breakaways and turnovers. How many breakaways did they have in the third period? Three. Two of them ended up in the back of our net. I mean, seriously, they're all from little turnovers at the blue line. I'd feel better coming out of this game if it was four to three than what it ended up being. I just don't get the overall frustration, the fragmentation of the group, the quitting on the work ethic. That's what happens when you do that. Sometimes you have a bad night and things don't go your way, but I just do not understand not just laying it on the line and at least doing what you can do to play with some pride. So what we're seeing right now are the Avalanche are at odds. They are frustrated in certain aspects of their game and it's leading to a culmination of each player kind of feeling sorry for themselves being frustrated trying to do too much i i made this point yesterday off the record i was talking to jj jerez uh in the press in the press room after the game and this is a point that i want to make here 
Last year when the Avalanche were struggling, they were struggling, and it's not simply this. There was a lot going wrong when they were 2017-3 and and they had that loss to the lowly Blackhawks last year. But for the most part, their good players played good throughout the season. JT Comfer was always on his game. We saw what Val Nichushkin did early on in the season before his injury. And when he came back, he still was pretty good in terms of points per game. Arturi Lekinen put up a good amount of points. Miko Rantanen blasted his career highs. Nathan McKinnon blasted his career highs. Kale McCarr was over a point per game at a Norris Trophy finalist. Devon Tave still put up points. When healthy, Bowen Byram still put up points. Sam Gerrard ended the season really, really well. Evan Rodriguez came in and did a pretty damn good job. JT Comfer blasted his career highs. The good players were good last year. The problem with last year was in the grand scheme of things, and again, this is a blanket statement. It doesn't apply to every single game last year. But the main issue they had last season in 2022-23 was their depth. When the top guys were playing their best, sometimes it still led to losses because the depth wasn't there. This year, the issue is their best players don't feel like their best players that time. And, and that's what the issue is, is that a lot of their best guys, like Nathan McKinnon to me, doesn't look like he's having a great season. It doesn't mean he's doing a terrible job, but he's not the same dominant 40 more points than games played last year, 111 points in 71 games. Like he doesn't seem like that guy. Miko Rantanen's got nine goals in 13 games, pretty damn good pace, but doesn't seem like the same dominant guy he was a season ago. And these are the things that are kind of uh, sticking out to me. Uh, the, the, the best way to put it, the good players that played always played good last year. That's the very dumbed down version of saying this year, their best players aren't always being their best players. And that's the problem. They're not giving their all. And it's leading to what Jared is calling these frustrations, these fragmentations of the team that are kind of quitting on themselves and, and feeling sorry for themselves. Um, whatever it is, it's something that's got to get cleaned up real soon. You know, I, I, I thought one of the more fascinating quotes that I got from Jared today, Sunday, after practice, where he kind of continued on that same rant from yesterday. Um, and the funny thing is, even an upset and livid and, and pissed off Jared is still a very well-spoken, articulate guy. And, you know, we, we genuinely are very fortunate to have that kind of a coach here because he really paints a good picture on how he's feeling that many other coaches in the NHL, quite frankly, they just don't do. They do a lot of what Nathan McKinnon does where he gives you one word answers like today I asked Nathan McKinnon what he thinks is going wrong and he said I don't know and uh, I tried to follow it up and get a little bit more from him uh, and you know asked him if there's you know x y and z are certain issues and he said maybe that maybe who knows like he just doesn't you know a lot of coaches do that when they're frustrated and understandably so I'm not trying to bury Nathan McKinnon but understandably so when these people are frustrated they don't give you much. Jared does a really good job in an articulate manner of really painting a good picture, and that's what I like about it. So what he told me today, I asked him if this was the time to have a wake-up call in terms of roster decisions, line combinations, things like that. You know, if, is, is he the type of coach that would rather do that, or is he the type of coach that would rather double down on his guys and say, I'm going to put you out there the same lines because I know you can do better. Go do better. And he said you have to balance it. Obviously, right now, he would like to make some changes. That's where I think the Yoel Kiviranta signing comes into play. It at least gives you another option to put into the bottom six where you can start to bring up guys from the bottom six and uh, not really alter the bottom six. Keep Curtis McDermott out of the lineup, have more guys up there or down there, so on and so forth. So that was the first part of my question. I then followed it up with my favorite part of the question was Ross Colton had a lot of success in Tampa Bay playing the wing. Do you and have you thought about bringing him up into the top six in a wing position 
And how much does it affect you that you don't have the depth at center to do that right now? And before I can even finish the question, he said, I've thought about it. The problem is we don't have centers. And and that's just the, the reality of the situation. Last year, the Avalanche had Comfer, Rodriguez, and Newhook. Keep Comfer out of it. Comfer's a center. They had Rodriguez and Newhook. At any given time, and obviously Ben Myers, who he shouldn't have been playing in the top six or in the in, in the third line role anyway. Uh, that's kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about this team having depth issues. But last year, when they had Newhook and Rodriguez, whenever they had issues in the top six and they wanted to switch things up, they can shift one of those guys into the top six, put Rodriguez with Miko and Nate, knowing very well you can have Alex Newhook center the third line. Or you can put Alex Newhook at a, at a, at a left-wing spot with JT Comfer or something and try to mix and match, knowing very well you have Rodriguez to cover for him. There was a lot of different ways you can manage having players that play the wing that can shift to center. They just don't have a lot of that right now. It's part of the reason why they shifted Freddie Olofsson from a from a winger to a full-time center. It's part of the reason why they shifted Ross Colton from a winger to a full-time center. Granted, Colton's a little bit different. He was brought in to be a center. That's something he's played naturally in the past. But he's also a player that can play the wing and help spark your top lines. And I think that that's something they want to be able to do. But in order to do it, you got to bring up Freddie Olofsson to the third line. And then the fourth line, who knows? In my humble opinion, the Yoel Kibiranta at least gives them an option. Not that he's played a lot of center, but at least gives you another option that you can throw down there. I also think a healthy Andrew Cogliano, you know, he's day-to-day right now, and a healthy Andrew Cogliano would really change things up because if you can have a healthy Andrew Cogliano centering a line uh, with, let's say, you know, Logan O'Connor, not that you're going to take him off of his line, but Logan O'Connor and Yoel Kibiranta, for example. If he can center that kind of a line or center uh, Tomas Tatar and Yoel Kiviranta with Cogliano in the middle, that gives you at least the ability to bring up Freddie Olofsson to play with Miles Wood and Logan O'Connor. Is it ideal? No. But at least then you can say Ross Colton scored 20 goals with the Tempe Lightning playing with their top guys in the top six. Let's put Ross Colton with Miko and Nate and just see what the hell they can do together. And then you can put, obviously, Johansson and, and Tufty with Nachushkin. Eventually, when Lekanen's back, you can play him with Nachushkin. Granted, that's still weeks away. But it gives you options. And I think that's the biggest thing because I remember during the offseason, before the Tatar signing, I always said, I said it on the podcast when JJ was still on this podcast, I always said that if Ross Colton, not Ross Colton, sorry, if Jonathan Drouin doesn't work out, and live up to expectations, which right now it's still up in the air. He's kind of leaning more toward no than yes, but you know, there's still a chance. We'll see. If Druen doesn't live up to expectations, you have this kind of Swiss army knife in Ross Colton, who's centering the third line, who you can bring up to the top six. He is a very, very, very capable top six winger. Let's see what he can do with these superstars. Like he did with the Tampa Bay superstars. Um, the problem with that is so then the Tomas Tatar signing happened. Tatar kind of became that Swiss army knife third liner playing with Wood and Colton that you can call up to the top six. And we saw the avalanche do it. And he clicked with Miko and Nate for about two and a half periods and then just went completely down to hell. Uh, Tatar is giving you absolutely nothing right now. Um, but now you're stuck in a situation where you want to be able to bring up Colton, but you can't because of the lack of center depth and, uh, I'm just really curious to see where it goes. I'm genuinely curious to see what the signing of Yoel Kiviranta does for the roster on Monday before they come back home for the home game against the Vancouver Canucks on Wednesday. These are not going to be easy games. Seattle just beat you. You've beaten them, but they're starting to pick it up. Vancouver just lost, yes, but they just lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs, yes, but they are on a complete heater. They arguably have the Hart Trophy winner, the Norris Trophy winner, and the Vezina Trophy winner 
you know, all on their roster clicking at the same time. Not that they've won those awards, but they're surely looking like candidates. And Thatcher Demko, Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes. You also got JT Miller playing out of his mind. Philip Hironic really fitting really well in with Quinn Hughes. A lot going well for that team. So these are not going to be easy games. You got to find a way to make it work. I'm really excited to see what they do with the lineup. I'm really excited to see if Kiviranta comes in, if Cogliano can slot to center if he's healthy, if Ross Colton gets a top six opportunity even if it means doing Val with Miko and Nate and taking Ross Colton and sticking him with Ryan Johansson and Riley Tufty or Ryan Johansson and and Tomas Tatar Jonathan Drewen or whatever they decide to do there I think getting Ross Colton onto the wing and into the top six is the type of big wake-up call this team could use right now to just spark not that Colton's the difference maker but it's you know not that he's the end-all be-all kind of guy but it's something that's enough of a change to spark the team to kind of let them know that enough is enough. We need a change. So we'll see where that goes. Of course, I forgot to say it earlier, but this is Arif Dean. You're listening to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Mile High Sports, presented by Superbook Sports as well. Thank you for hanging out with me. I will chat with you guys probably after that Seattle game, maybe after the Vancouver game. We'll see how these next couple games shake out. But that's all from me. Enjoy the rest of your weekends and hope you enjoy this podcast if you're listening on a Monday morning.